cliffcentral.com. Well, um, it is auspicious that we should be uh, sitting here. I know th- for many people it's a cold, wintry morning, but um, it isn't as cold as the day that Justice writes about in his new book, because although it was back in 1993, so we're approaching an anniversary this year, um, it was obviously one of the most defining moments in South African history. But as has already been said, justice has also been a defining voice in South Africa post-1993 and for a very long time has remained one of the most sought-after and admired commentators, which is one of the reasons we liked having him on the burning platform for those years that we did. Um, And he hasn't ruined his reputation like certain other uh, political commentators uh, by being paid by Herman Mashaba, but we'll leave that alone for the moment. Right, Justice? Nice to see you, my friend. <laughs> it's so good to be here. Thank you, everyone, for turning up. Thank you for having me. Um, um, Burning Platform is such a special place for me. I have, um, I don't know if you guys, uh, if I may segue for just a bit, but one of the things about me is that I grew up, I was born here in Johannesburg, I grew up in Hammanskral. People from Joburg, you know, everyone's from everywhere else. They don't like this place. They don't think it's, a, it's their home and so forth and so forth. Um, but I think as a kid, I picked up this weird pronunciation of, of the letter R. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when you asked me uh, to come on, uh, I kept on thinking, ah, oh, no one's going to understand a word I'm saying, my R and this and so forth. So, you know, I'd like to thank you for the therapy, basically. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the people of Hamans Kral have other things to worry about well, right at the moment. That for sure. With cholera and all the rest of it. So... I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the book, which really deserves a lot more than a little bit of time, and I encourage everybody to take a look at it. It's written just as beautifully, and it's amazing how even though I was a a very young school kid at the time, I remember those events probably because I'm a history nerd, but you've told them in just the most stark, frightening, nail-biting, goosebump way that you actually go through the timeline and you... You're there at the moment that Janusz Valus climbs out of his red car, walks over, and pulls out his gun. And you, you can kind of remember, even if you are young, and there are many people here who might not remember the actual events, but you would have seen the footage and everything afterwards of, you know, Chris Harney in that tracksuit. There's so much to talk about here. We'll spend a lot of time talking about this, but I know a lot of people want to hear your thoughts on what's currently going on, and I know you keep up to date with all of that. So we're turning this into a burning platform special as well well this morning. So let's just start with that uh, inauspicious weekend back in uh, Easter of 1993, which is when all the action took place. Why did you feel that this, you kind of say so here, but... Why do you feel that this moment was so seminal in this country? I think South Africa had gone through a lot in the period from 1990. Nelson Mandela came out of prison uh, on February 11. The ANC, SACP, others were unbanned on uh, February 2nd. Um, and that was a huge, joyous moment for, for, many, for many of us, uh, uh, myself included. Um, you know, from the darkness of apartheid to to this new wave of possibility, of hope, that finally things are going to change. But it didn't work out that way. 1990 came and went. Um, if you lived here in, in what was the PWV, huge 
amounts of violence were unleashed. Um, later, we found out that you know they were sponsored by the state, um, paying the IFP or IFP parts of the IFP to attack uh, township residents in Soweto. People forget that you know in that time, um, if you were coming to work from Soweto, you you lived in fear that men would just enter your uh, train coach and uh, carriage and attack you. That there were train massacres. There were massacres in the townships in Wibatong, in uh, uh, Sibukeng, all parts of South Africa. So, so the negotiations weren't going that well. But this, this for me was the ultimate provocation. Um, Ipsos had done a, a survey uh, in 1992. Um, and one of the questions was, who do you think is the most uh, trusted, most, uh, uh, who do you love most in the political sphere? And Nelson Mandela came first, and second was Chris Hani. So Chris Hani's Chris image, if you will, in among particularly young black activists, was very different from Nelson Mandela's. Nelson Mandela was the face of negotiations. It was, if there was a sense that, for example, on August 6, 1990, the uh, Umkonto Wesizwe lifted the, uh, well, suspended the armed struggle. And Nelson Mandela was blamed for that. It was, oh, you're a sellout and so forth and so forth. There's still people saying that now. There's still people saying that. And I, I, I'd, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Um, but but Chris Hani was seen as the man who didn't sell out, who didn't, who stood fast, who who showed his fist to the apartheid government and said, you know, we won these, these are demands and we're not stepping back from and, them. And, and represented a younger and angrier generation in a way. Angrier, but hopeful too. I mean, people forget uh, the, the key thing about Chris Hani is that when it was time for war, he fought. But when it was time for peace, you know, Chris Hani, if you, if you take, for example, today and say, who are these people who are uh, MKMVA, Mkonto Wesizo Military Veterans, and you and I used to talk about them a lot on, on, on the burning platform. Um, these young MK people, and you say, but guy, you're 35. How, how can you say you're MK when... You know, MK suspended the arms struggle in 1990. Where, where did you train? It's been 30. You must. You were five. It's like the veterans in Zimbabwe. Exactly. So, but part of it is that some of those people, maybe the slightly older ones than the 35-year-olds, um, came from township protection units, um, and and Chris Hani was already at that time thinking very deeply about these young people. What do we do with them? How do we help them integrate into society post a democratic settlement? So, so I, I find it interesting that people want to, want to almost paint Chris Hani as a direct opposite of Nelson Mandela, that Mandela sold out and, and um, uh, uh, Chris Hani was this pure figure who didn't want peace. He wanted peace. He worked for peace. Uh, and, and, I write a, a thing in the book somewhere about what was found on on his desk 
uh, on the day he was murdered. On the first day, he was at his office and kept on doing notes um, about a peace corps. How do you take these young people into becoming soldiers for peace, as it were? Or how do you integrate them and so forth? He was thinking deeply about those things. So, And, and you go into a lot of detail about the relationship between Mandela and Hani, which is, I think, oft misunderstood by people. Uh, Mandela had issued a special order to his own office that as much time as he could have with Chris Honey, he wanted. Yeah, yeah. So if he had to travel somewhere, Chris should come with. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to, he was fascinated by this young man. Yeah, he was fascinated by him. He also, he was a bit scared of him, that this guy, <laughs> you know, if he didn't, I think Mandela saw himself as, if, if I want to sell a democratic settlement, I have to sell it to Chris. If I can sell it to him, he can sell it to anyone. Um, and so he, he made him part of the difficulty of negotiation and the, and the times of negotiation and the times of the, 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 the small gains that the ANC was making in its negotiations with the, with the National Party and, and, and the government of the time. So, so he loved him deeply and he saw a lot of himself uh, in Krisani. You know, Krisani was a, was a radical, was a militant. Mandela, people forget that Mandela was a radical and a militant in the 1940s. The Mandela of 1960, or the Mandela of the 1990s, that, oh, you know, he wants reconciliation and peace. This was the first man to leave South Africa and go and train in, in Ethiopia. He was the first ANC person to hold a gun in his hand and actually trained to, to take up arms. So the idea that Mandela was this, you know, cuddly teddy no. bear, is, is, uh, I, uh, what I like about those two uh, men, if you will, is, is, is that just be careful about saying, oh, they were absolutely this, mm. when they were this and other. And, and, and I think it's all of us. Um, part, of, part of the thing I wanted to show in the book, and I'd encourage many of you to watch a movie called Selma. It's about Martin Luther King. And, and it shows a moment of weakness in, in Martin Luther King's life when, when he's marching with thousands of people and he says, They're going, the police are going to murder us. Let's stop and turn back. And people said he's weak, that he is a sellout and so forth. In, in this week of Chris Hani's murder, for me, Nelson Mandela was was resolute at times, and at times he said, I've made a mistake, and maybe I need to work it back. And, and that, for me, is actually ultimate leadership. He was human. He made mistakes, but he fixed them and kept on going. And, and I, I like that about him. I really do. Well, I remember also, and I'm sure everybody who's old enough here does, that that was the moment we probably came, came closest to a complete disruption in civil society, you know, the army being called in, the, the total uh, descent into chaos in the townships that was planned by the people who wanted to murder Chris Hani. They had a list. Yeah. And Mandela was at the top of the list. Joe Slovo was number two. Chris Hani was number three. And when Janusz Valus and Clive Darby Lewis and the rest of the conspirators, um, some of whom we're still not sure who they are. I mean, gay Darby Lewis, she got off. Mm, yeah, she was. Um, it's amazing how close we did come 
to total civil war at that point. I remember people stocking up on things and saying, this is the moment, right? Absolutely. I, I think as a, as a trigger, um, Clive W. Lewis, Janus Valus, uh, whoever else, as you say, was involved. Uh, you know, I don't know if I make it explicit enough in the book, but there, there people like F.W. de Klerk and others, I'm not sure if they actually realized that they were as much uh, targets of this plan as Nelson Mandela and, and Joe Slovo and uh, Chris Hani and others. Because the idea was that you, you kill the most popular leader in the ANC, you, you spark this anger, but you, don't, you spark it so that the hardliners in the army would say, look, 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 and would be justified or find justification to say it's time to kick out FW and his cabinet, who were pretty uh, useless. useless people themselves, but you kick out a civilian government and install an army led by the generals, and they say, reset everything to 1980, to 1975, and it was working then. We kept everyone under the cosh. Martial law. Martial law and so forth and so forth. So, so Dietlerk, who was seen as a sellout and, you know, all these things, would have been totally sidelined or even jailed. Mandela and them would have been sent back to prison. And, and essentially, you'd have the generals uh, taking over. That was their plan, um, to trigger essentially a coup d'etat. They didn't mm-hmm. want to take over themselves. They wanted the army to take over, and it would be, ah, now it's all good, and so forth. And, and the key thing is that, is that they were frustrated. Um, if you say we want chaos to happen, and Mandela and his comrades and others managed to say, yeah, I mean, there were huge um, outbreaks of, of protest and, and, and all kinds of anarchy. But if you contain it, then you don't give the army that reason to say, let's take over. What, one of the ways that it was contained, again, people who are old enough might remember, is Mandela went on TV that very weekend. I think it was the, the night after. And managed to be strong stand firm, not give any ground, but at the same time, right at the end, despite wearing a jacket that he didn't want to wear. Um, and these are the kind of details you'll only get from the book. But he then called for calm and peace and said, if we incite violence now, we will be handing this country over to the people who don't want you to be free. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, so the story of the, of the speech it's actually the story of speeches. So I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was because um, April 10, 1993, was, I, I, was a, I was an intern at the Star. And basically, um, all the senior journalists, Easter weekend, no one wants to work, and so they all take off. And, and as, as the interns, it was myself and a few others, were taken up to the newsroom and told, this is these are the numbers for the cops. These are the numbers for this. You you're in charge. Just, <laughs> and there was one news editor who who you know sort of oversaw us. But basically there was no one. Um, 
the paper had been designed, the Sunday paper had been designed and it was ready to go. So we were just supposed to sit there and call the cops every hour. Um, you know, what's happening? Oh, okay. Well, now you'd just be put on hold. So at least, <laughs> at least you could have got through to them. Then. Um, but, but what happened is that Chris Honey gets murdered. I get sent out to, I get sent out to Don Park and then later in the afternoon, I get sent out to Soweto and, you know, I come back, I scribble my stuff. But I always had the memory that Nelson Mandela went on television that evening and gave a fantastic speech and that calmed things down. And, and the, so when I set off to write it, I kept on thinking, yeah, that's, that's the pivotal part. What did, how, how did this speech do this? That's how the story goes. It's, yeah, but, but actually, it's <laughs> Mandela arrives back from Trunu late, late in the evening. He only gets to the SABC at half past ten. Um, he reads from the autocue. Can't really see. Can't really see. Um, he, it, no one is watching. I, the SABC had uh, the movie on. What was it called now? It's somewhere in the book. Um, but there, there was a seven o'clock bulletin which most people would watch. Yeah, he missed that. He missed that. Then there was an 8 o'clock one, which the rest of the people would watch. He but by this that. time... By this time, people are not watching. People are worrying about other things or have gone to sleep, um, and so forth and so forth. So Mandela, it's historic. For the first time, a black man, a man whose name you could never mention on, um, on the SABC. Remember, if you said Nelson Mandela on the SABC, you got a five-year automatic, you went to jail. Um, mm-hmm. If you quoted him... Five years um, um, automatic, you know, it was, you don't talk about this man, he was banned. So for the first time, and this is historic, Nelson Mandela goes on national television. We talk about uh, uh, family meetings now with Cyril Ramaphosa. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) that was the original, the first family meeting, but no one, very few people actually saw it. So Nelson Mandela then a few days later says, why that didn't work out yeah. as we as we wanted. So then he says, "I have to go back and and do this again." And for me, it's a beautiful moment of 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 leadership, knowing that oh, I I did that, I tried that, it didn't work. Let's let's do it again. And that's when he writes those pivotal, amazing words to the to the speech that everyone quotes. So. People like me and others always quoted that speech that Mandela on Saturday evening went on TV and said this. But actually it took him three days to write those lines and to, um, to give the speech that really kind of began to turn things. And that's the speech when he says, um, I'm reaching out to uh, all South Africans, black and white. Uh, he says, a white man full of hate came to our land and murdered our... Beloved son, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he says, a white human um, saw the killer and had the presence of mind to call and memorize the, the, the number register plate. number plate and had the presence of mind to call uh, the police. Rieta Haramse was her name. And, um, and, and, you know, within 35, 40 minutes, um, um, Janus Wallis was arrested. And and that speech by by you know if you think about Janice Wallace and Clive W. Lewis, they wanted to say, 
black against white. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that was the key thing in their attempt to spark this, this conflict. And Mandela saying, a white man full of hate came to our land and killed uh, Chris Hani. A white woman saw the killer and memorized the, the number plate and called the police. was a beautiful juxtaposition of they are trying to make you think in terms of race and black yeah. and white and enemy, friend, and so forth. Here's the thing. The same people that say whites are enemies of blacks a white woman saw this, yeah. and, and, and it took the sting out of that week. I mean, it's not a turning point that many people say, Mandela, stop the war. There were other things, and, and I'll talk about them here. But, but that was one of the most powerful moments of that week. And that's when you begin to see a realization that actually the attempt here is to, is to destroy all of us, not just go for the one or go for the other. It's, to, it's for all of us to turn around and say, these white people and these black people, you see them, us, them, and, and, and cause this. Yes, a, a narrative that bears repeating <laughs> some <laughs> of the time. Um, there, there are characters in this book, though, that are very much still part of our lives. Mm. Um, obviously, just recently, Janusz Wallis was released on parole. Um, Clive Darby Lewis was also released some time ago but died shortly thereafter of lung cancer Um, there must be because you did a lot of research here you looked at their testimony at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for which neither of them were exonerated because the TRC believed they were withholding a lot of information that they weren't telling the full story you hear lots of rumors and you've now done the research there are people who still talk about this hidden invisible hand behind the whole assassination of Chris Hani, Do you believe there was more to it than this small and quite incompetent conspiracy that very nearly caused the chaos that it wanted to? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two levels to it. So the first thing is that I, I honestly believe that there was a, there was a cell um, which worked to pull off the actual matter itself. And I, I think it, it goes beyond um, Janus Valus and, um, and uh, Clive Darby Lewis. So there mm-hmm. are six, seven other people who were certainly one was waiting in line that if Janus Valus didn't do it, he'd be available to pull the trigger. I believe that um, some of the neighbors, some of the providers of the gun, some of the people who pointed to this is how we, um, you know, a silencer was supposed to be used uh, on the day it wasn't used, and all those people. So the, I, think, I think the actual cell itself was about seven people. Uh, and I think the investigation was very, was very much, let's find the key people, let's forget about prosecuting the minor players in that cell. So I think they got away with, uh, they got away with murder. The wider conspiracy is something that right from the beginning has been spoken about. And, and I think this is a source, should be a source of shame and, and, and of, I think it's, I was saying to you. Just look behind you for the next few minutes. No, 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 no. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> I, I, I want to, I want to put it this way. Um, you and I sit here and we say, oh, you know, we're going on the burning platform and, and we sit there and we analyze. 
because you don't have the the might and the power of the state behind you to say, if I'm going to analyze how a child, a newborn, ends up in a cardboard box in a hospital, the, the best I can do is to analyze how we got here and perhaps to use my voice to condemn how we, uh, why we are here. The ANC government, since 1994, um, has failed with with the SACP, with Jeremy Cronin, with, with all the others, every year they stand up and say, um, our, our hero Chris Honey was murdered and so forth. Then they go and sit in government. But not once has anyone said, we've got the might of the state. Let us say, let us reopen this case and talk about the allegations of there were cigarettes and uh, Fanta or Coca-Cola cans. It looks like someone was sitting there staking others. So, so every year you hear, yeah, and there were these people and so forth. Why don't, if we are in power, mm-hmm. why don't we use the power that we have in the state right. to do these things? So, so the conspiracy around the murder of Chris Honey is, is fueled by an ANC which can do something about it and doesn't do anything about it. So, so again and again, I find myself just dismayed and wowed and, and disappointed by the fact that we seem to have a state that analyzes and never does anything. So, so as I said, I'm from Hamanskral. I went on Sunday to see my mother, Saturday. And, and you know, the village right next to my mother's is called Stengvater. It's been called Stengvater. Stengvater. Because the water has always been... Smelly. Shit, basically. Yeah. You know? So, so you continue these things. And so I have all my ANC friends, all my... Uh, the Minister of Health, Joe Patla, who I have a lot of time for, and, and others are over there. They're analyzing this thing. It's, it's not your job to analyze. It's my job to analyze. You fix the problem. You're in power. That's why I gave you five years. So, so this whole thing around Chris Honey and, and, and the plot, the conspiracy and how far it goes, we could have, we could have resolved this with the TLC, could have resolved this with the police, the hawks there, uh, all sorts of bodies. It's almost as if there wasn't even any curiosity. It's like so, it's so in fact, I, <clears throat> I, 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 I I would say the past 30 years, if anyone says to me, um, do you believe there was a conspiracy to kill Chris Hani? I say to you, I, I, can, I can talk till the cows come home about, oh, this one was here, and, da, 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 and there, it's, there are so many theories, and oh, arms deals and so forth. If anyone is serious in this, in this country, in this government, to find the real truth, why hasn't there been a reopening of the case so that the Honey family can find some closure, some, some peace mm. from this? Why is it, or maybe, or maybe the real conspiracy is that, you know, people enjoy standing up on the 10th of April every year for 30 years talking about Chris Haney, but not doing anything to give that family closure. All right, so then that brings us more to the present because the people who 
conspiracy theorists say would have benefited the most from this within the ANC, there are obviously lots of people who benefited on the outside, are two people who've subsequently been presidents of this country, the one currently is, because a lot of people say that Mandela was either grooming Chris Harney or that Chris Harney was grooming himself to eventually take mm. a far more powerful leadership role within the movement. Do you believe that that's what, I mean, now I'm asking you to predict. <laughs> no, you know, actually you're with, not, because, because that question was asked. Steve Trotter in 2003 um, went on television. Uh, you'll remember he went on, Deborah Pata used to have third degree, I think it yes. was called. Went on third degree and said, um, yes, the cops, I can confirm that the police are investigating an allegation made by Tabombeki that Tokyo Sekhwale, Cyril Ramaphosa, and uh, Tokyo Sekhwale, Cyril Ramaphosa, and uh, Matthews Posa, um, that they were going around alleging that, that, that he, was that he benefited from that, and so forth and so forth. So, in fact, the, the assassination of Chris Honey has, has, is, has almost destroyed the ANC. All these people that we mention now have been at loggerheads at war with each other. Ever since. Or ever since. And my question is this. Tawambeki was the president of South Africa. Jacob Zuma was the president of South Africa. Cyril Ramaphosa is the president. Why hasn't any one of them, even Jacob Zuma has said um, that he thinks that something was going on there. Well, he was the head of intelligence of the ANC. Why didn't he ask those questions. Why hasn't he done anything about it? So, so the, the matter of Chris Honey continues today to be, to be a huge source of, I think, part of the pain of the ANC, part of, its, part of the pain that it doesn't know, of the trauma that it doesn't perhaps know or deliberately decides, I'm just going to keep this under the carpet, and it's the family secret we don't talk about, um, with all the power that the ANC has enjoyed and still enjoys uh, today. So the book is available here, but I want to just fast forward a little bit to the present. It must be very nice for you living in America to come back here with the dollar and, and rand at, at this current <laughs> exchange rate. Uh, Anthea, who's here, told me just now it's, what, seven, uh, 19... 70-something? Oh, my God. Okay, so, Justice, what are you buying us afterwards? <laughs> Do we have to buy your book or are you going to give us your books for free because we, we need all the help we can get? <laughs> um, um, you know, Anthea, I, I hope... <laughs> um, one of the worst things about about being so enmeshed in South Africa, because I still earn a living here and, mm. and so forth, is that you, you're watching that ticker as it goes, 1976, 1970, and you think, oh, oh, what, I'm earning, what am I earning? What's my earnings going? Yeah. Um, but, but I think the key things, so there's a little graphic, and I'm sure Anthea can do it for us, where you look at the, at the lira, you look at the, all the emerging market currencies, right? And you say, oh, they're all taking a beating because the dollar is too strong or the Fed is doing this and so forth. But if you look at it long enough, you start realizing that there's the rand <laughs> on its own, 
we're underperforming all the underperformers. <laughs> <laughs> and and the key thing to that is that is that we we are the masters of the own goal. Everything that we should just do as a matter of course that everyone else does, we just you know, in Sitsuana, you, you just go off into the bush, basically. Well, it, feels, it especially feels like that right now. I mean, I look at Haman's Kral, which obviously is close to home. It is home to you. I look at um, what's going on in, in parts of KwaZulu-Natal. I look at the electricity crisis. It's almost like they've just decided in the ANC, we don't know what to do. Hands up. We're just going to walk away. Because it's not as if anyone's there in... You know, crisis meetings. You don't get the impression there's any urgency here at all. No, I mean, the ANC is analyzing. This is the problem. We just, Analysis paralysis. It's just, you know, anyone, you know, you say to the ANC, anyone in the ANC, and you say, let's have a, what's going on with, with Russia, Ukraine? Oh, <laughs> man, you know, it will be a new world order, da, 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 da. And then you say, but the rent is tanking. You're about to lose your access to the biggest market in the, the, the Americans are going to go away and say, I go, well, why should we be doing this? 7,600 products that you get into the U.S. tariff free, suddenly you're going to be paying, paying more, paying to, to get those products into the U.S. And no, but you know, our friends, can I just say, I, I want to make this point and I'll make it again and again. Um, there is this myth in South Africa that the Russians stood by, by the liberation movements. I, I, we need historians here. In 1963, the ANC took 20 people to, to Moscow. They were trained. The next 400 were trained in Kiev and Odessa, which is in Ukraine. Ukraine. Over the 70s, if you go to Kiev and Odessa, you will find, you will find Mashangus there. You will find many, many black South Africans who fled in 1976 ended up in Odessa and Ukraine. So this whole entire thing that, no, but we must stand with the Russians, they helped us. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics helped us. And in the USSR, it was Russia, it was all kinds of, including Ukraine. So, <laughs> I mean, we are on this jolly. I'm, I'm not sure why, and it's going to, it's going to just really hurt us. I'm, I'm sorry to say, Anthea, I don't know what you, what we add today, 1970 to, to the dollar. But if this continues, the, the currency is going to take an even bigger beating. And, and, you know, there, there is pain ahead on this path, and we can, we can talk about it. But what, and, what about all those people who said, oh, no, no, all you have to do is get rid of Jacob Zuma, all those very smart people at News 24 who told us, no, no, no. Some of them Cyril. are on the burning platform. I have yeah, to yeah. First. <laughs> pray, pray for Cyril. You know, as soon as he comes in, everything will be fine. As long as we get rid of Gidlisi, he's like, everything's cool. Well, I think, I think the fundamental mistake, and I, 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 I think I'm one of those people who, who made that mistake was to say, this individual is amazing and so forth without looking at the ANC as a whole. The ANC as a whole is, is, is in terminal crisis and it's taken. Cyril Ramaphosa wants to save the ANC and save the ANC by his own standards. 
That is, keep the ANC together, keep the faction that was the Jacob Zuma faction in-house and so forth. So part of it. I mean, an extraordinary thing happened on Friday in Parliament. Sidney Mufumadi, the National Security Advisor to President Ramaphosa, says, Andre Dereita gave me the name of the politicians that are implicated in corruption at Oscom. All along, the ANC, even today, is saying, I'm suing Andre Dereita mm-hmm. for, for how dare he say uh, blah, blah, blah. We have speak. yet to see a case open. We have yet to see the case open. But this is a man who went to the, the – Pavin Gordon has admitted that, yes, he did give me the names. Um, the National Security Advisor has admitted that, yes, I was given the names. So right now, <laughs> Andrew Dreiter is hiding somewhere in Germany, I believe. Also. While, while the ANC is suing him, is there, no one is saying – we don't have electricity. What are we doing to fix that problem? Because, uh, quite frankly, uh, the ANC can go after Dereita all it likes, but my mother doesn't have electricity. Right now, my mother has a borehole, which I sunk for her 25 years ago. Now, she's saying, Justice, my son, you live in America. Why, where's my generator? So my, my mother is basically going to run... A government. Yes, in her own house. In her own house. Because she, she does not use the government at she all. She doesn't use it. My mother She's never had security. Have, she's never had security. So now she doesn't have water or electricity. electricity. So what does what does, so what does the do state for do for her? And and this is fundamental to what a state means. If if we don't because the people in this room have ADT or whatever their service is called. They have um, inverters for when the lights go out. They have da-da-da and all these things. So all of us are, this is the state of um, Gareth Cliff, and that is the state of Muzi. And uh, everyone has their own little local municipality running in their own home. No one goes. Uh, so when this crisis started in Hammanskarl a week ago, I, I looked back at the articles I wrote, Four years ago, a friend of mine died at Jubilee Hospital. This is the hospital where the cholera patients are being treated. I wrote about going to see him and sitting there while rats scuttled across the floors. You can find it, it's on Times Live, just do uh, Justice Malala Jubilee Hospital. The trash, the trash, the garbage uh, uh, stuff was not changed for days. On end. So this is a government hospital that that is now <laughs> that is now the epicenter of the treatment of this of this outbreak. So I just think I just think South Africa we all need to do something and do something very urgently and very quickly because because at every level we just seem to be regressing. Okay, but the key question then, because I think everybody here agrees with that, is what? What do you do? I mean, what can, what can citizens do? We can complain. We do that. So, South uh, Africans complain better than anyone else. We, uh, we hear people talking about a tax revolt. That's never going to happen. Uh, we hear people talking about the elections, the next elections. Oh, no, no, the next elections will sort it out. You wrote a book a couple of years ago called We Have Now Begun Our Descent, right? Mm-hmm. That was, a, that was the first book you brought out. That was how many years ago? 
2015. No matter how much fuel your plane has, if you're still descending after then, that's a hell of a long time to be in descent to crash by now. So give us some hope, for God's sake, or at least tell us what we should be doing. <laughs> this is the tough questions, I guess, so I'm going to leave now. Um, <laughs> um, I'm working on a project at the moment, and, and I, it's my little project. And my, my little project is this. Um, 40 million people were eligible to vote in, uh, in the local elections in November 2021. Out of those, only 26 million were um, registered to vote. So already, 14 million have decided are not going to be on the day because when you vote, you know, you have to be on the voters' roll. So 14 million took themselves out of the system, boom, right from the onset. Mm -hmm. So you're left with 26 million. On the 1st of November, only 12 million actually turned up and voted. So out of 40 million people, just 25, 26%, 27% turned up to vote. If I believe, if in 1990 I talk about my own hope, my own personal hope that things are going to get better, one of the key things about 1994 was that my word, for the first time in my life, Muzi and I could go and vote. We, we could express our own will and say this is what we want. So my own little project is to get out of that 12 million to get those 12 million to go back and vote next year and to get 4 million. So my number is 16 million. To get 16 million people back into voting. It's not even half. And hopefully we get to 18 or 20 million. But to get those people. And I, I, don't, I don't, if they love the ANC and think the ANC is doing a great job, all good and fine. If they love Herman Mashaba and think he should be paying people 12 million bucks, <laughs> good for them. They, they should go and do it. But, but I think that the death of trust in the institutions and what they can do is, is that is the end of it. It's the crash. It's not the descent that you talk about. Mm. So, so that for me is, the, is, 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 is my focus for the next year. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to put together. Um, what else can I do? What can people do? I think, I think people understand. You talk about oh, a tax revolt is not possible. But if you think about it, um, when last did you pay for driving on the highways. No, no, no. We, I know. We're good at that. Yeah. But, but the problem is most people who, who earn anything, and there are only a few people in this country who have work, we've got a huge unemployment problem. Yeah, yeah. Those who have work, they don't have a say. The tax comes off before they even... They can go to their employer, you know, some big bank, and say to them, oh, no, I'm going to refuse this month. I mean, if, 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 they were, if they were bold enough, like the leaders of the banks were when Des van Royen was made... Yeah. Minister, remember? Yeah. They went and sat with the president and said, "You do this, yeah. it's going to be big shit." They should do the same thing now. Yes. So, so they they have the that, courage, that's no? the answer. People actually have done it before, and they can do it again. Maybe, maybe this is 
because it looks so hard, you think it's impossible to do. But maybe this is the time to speak about uh, what am I paying for? Because it's your tax money. I'm I'm all for this. But I I just hear people making excuses the whole time, and I can see lots and lots of people saying, oh, no, well, we can't do that. That's a step too far. Well, I mean... They've they've taken away your electricity. They're putting dirty water into your house. People are dying of cholera when they shouldn't be dying of cholera. And so what's a step too far? I think think saying I'm going to withdraw my taxes is not a step too far. It's worth discussing as... um, as a country, that look, I mean, you guys are just not doing the right thing. So what are we? What are we talking about? So if I about? start and they put me in jail, will you come and speak up for me? I'll, <laughs> I'll speak up for you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> will I join you? <laughs> yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a bit of time here for some questions. There's some very um, respectable people in this audience who I'm sure have lots of things that they want to ask. There are some journalists here too, former colleagues of yours, friends. Uh, you're all welcome. So put up your hand. Who wants to go with a question? And Homolemo, uh, we've got that uh, microphone ready. We've got a long cable on there. All right. Muzi Kuzwayo, you've been mentioned in, you've, you've been mentioned now a couple of times against your will, Muzi. You want to ask a question here? Thank Can I you. just say I've got a, I've got a book uh, for anyone who asks a question after Muzi. So, uh, I'm sorry, you're not the winner. The winner is the second question. <laughs> Justice, congratulations again on another book. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your insights. And I read a little bit of the book. Gareth did give it to me a little earlier. Um, but the question I want to ask is a forward question. I come from a pre-apartheid township. And um, so my sisters are colored. My cousin who passed away last week is a Poseidon Hote, is his name. And my aunt saw apartheid come and go, and she only passed away in February. And the person who was born on Freedom Day in 1994 will be 30 years old next year. So they've never seen apartheid. And will be 16 years out before it equals the number of, of lives that we've lived is equal to apartheid. So democracy and apartheid will be both the same. And sorry for the long context, but what I liked about what the Africanists did in 1900 was that they did not worry about the problems that they had back then. They worried about the, the, the 20th century, and they imagined how Africa would look like. So how do you, I wonder if you've had a time to think about, how do you think South Africa would look like in the year 2121? Sure. <laughs> wow. Um, <clears throat> I think... I think uh, it's interesting what you say about the visionaries and what what, uh, what they're worried about and worrying about the future. I worry in the present that we're not equipping ourselves for whatever the future to, that 2021, 2121 looks like. Um, um, if there's anything uh, that that really breaks me up, it's the... It's the quality uh, of the education and the, and the fact that the education system continues to deteriorate. And, and here I'm talking about a township, township school, a village school, the school that I went to in Hammanskral and so forth. Where, so 
What is if it if so so part of what the National Party did or or a huge chunk of Africanadom did, if you look at the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, they said we need to get people uh, out into the world to grapple with what the rest of the world are doing. So you young smarts is uh, the architect of apartheid, Fervut and them, they went to Stellenbosch, they went to uh, 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 other universities. They were sent off um, to Oxford, Cambridge, to the U.S. Um, people forget that the apartheid system was learnings from from Fervut and others um, from the United States. Just as we're exporting people like you and others, but they're not coming back. Uh, that, that's the point I'm making. We should be... Uh, Clem Center used to have this this uh, young person that he used to say, wow, his name was Sia. Ah, he used to talk about him a lot. So Sia went to Cambridge and Harvard and all these places and so forth. And I, I, I think about, a lot about him, like, is he, is he going back? Is he, is he coming? Is he going to do something about South Africa and so forth? So... I think we, we, this is our first basic mistake. We're not educating people to come back and help us grapple with the future. So two years ago, um, during the pandemic, I remember there was one minister who used to talk about, yes, 4IR. <laughs> uh, now, four, fourth industrial revolution was like the buzzword in our government just three years ago. And suddenly it's, you know, chat GPT, and everyone's saying, yes, we're on chat GPT. No, but uh, that minister, I think, heard the word revolution, which he was familiar with. He heard industrial, and he thought of industrial action, because he was probably familiar with that. And he heard the number four, and he thought, well, it's better than three, so let's go for it. I don't think he really knew what it was. <laughs> so, so for me, the key thing is this. I, I, I just really think, I don't know what 2021 looks like in South Africa, but I, I, do, I do think that we have we have a better chance of being of still being a united prosperous country if we were saying our key key absolute minimum is that we get as many of our young people out there getting educated bringing us new fresh ideas inventing things doing things for us Instead of this, you know, I mean, right now we're almost saying, oh, no, China and, and, and Russia and maybe India will look after the tech sector for us. They'll do this for us. And we know, we're not really, we hardly ever talk about educational exchange, about mathematics, science, and so forth. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't know what 2021-2021 looks like, but I, I fear... Um, I fear that we will be left behind, and I think we are left behind, largely. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be out there. Um, you know, there are many positives about South Africa. That's the, that's the entrepreneurship. That's the, that's a, there's a huge chunk of things that we do well, but I, I do worry that we're not, we're not preparing ourselves for a very complex future. Um, who else has got a question? Let's go. Yes. She gets the book. She gets one book. She gets two books. She gets... No, you get one book. <laughs> right. 
No, no, we need it. It's for a recording. Is, is really off of the back of what Muzi has asked, right? So, mm. I think it's great that there are a lot of uh, um, authors that write reflective books. Mm. You know, and given where we are and given that 2021 is not looking like a picture that, you know, is a bit of roses. Well, it's good news. How... You, you, none of us will be around to see it. So. No, but our children will. <laughs> Right, so <laughs> no, the trust me, a lot of sarcasm. In there. <laughs> um, so my, so my, my question really is around the fact that we're writing, we're having these conversations about these reflective books, and history is a great place to start from. Mm-hmm. But when are we going to get to a point where we're having conversations around what the future actually looks like, and not the future of 2021, but the future of now? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, it's because I'm trying to do this right. Um, So, and I say this only because I've just come from the Franschhoek Literary Festival, right? And it is. Everything is very reflective. Mm. We've got a government right now that does not know what to do. Um, You know, it's 4IR and it's ChatGP and it'll be whatever, you know, is the next Mm. trend. Um, How do we get the youth to start getting the ideas of, of, of what to do in order to change things. Mm-hmm. How do we get... So right now, all the political parties, you've got one SA, this one, this one. There's all these new ones that are coming up, but they're all saying the same things, right? Mm. As the ANC, as the EFF, as all the other ones. So nobody's having new conversations. And we're all having exactly what you were saying the government is doing. Uh, we analyze. Okay, but... but- you want to try you know? and answer that? Yes, Sorry, no, no, a, I do. It's a very actually, long yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like your question very much, and I, I appreciate it. I'll tell you, I, I was thinking about my book, and, and the, your question is absolutely on the money. I was thinking about my own book and saying, what are you doing here? I mean, you know, the past, the past, the past. But actually, I think I've got myself wrong, and I think many people get my book wrong because I wrote it because I wanted, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a business book, and I wanted to say, here are 10 lessons that you can take away and actually use. The first one was that Mandela, the first thing Mandela did on that Saturday when he got the news was to call F.W. de Klerk. And my thing is, why is it, why is it this man in 1993 calls de Klerk and says, both of us, we are in trouble. This, this thing that we're trying to build is going to implode. So we better talk and we better handle it in a way that will save this situation. Because otherwise, it's going to explode. You're going to be left with a, with a shell of a country. I'm going to be left with a shell of a country. If I win or you win. No, there is no winner here. How do I tell that story? I, I haven't done it. I haven't done it. I've, I've, it's, it's in here. Mandela calls the clerk. And the cleric says, yeah, you're absolutely right. But that was, my, that was my first lesson of the book. The second lesson is, why is it every time there's a crisis, there's, there's a man in a suit uh, arriving saying, yes, I'm the president, and I will do this, I will do that, and so forth. The cleric, to be his credit, and many people, you know, he's gone on to be all kinds of things, and when he died, there were all kinds of stuff. Da, 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 da. But on that day, the cleric, and he, re- he writes this in his autobiography. Um, he says, if I said a word, I would make the situation worse. 
there were other people who can deal with this. So the, the second, my second chapter in my book about how do we deal with the future, how do we lead, is very explicit. Stepping back, you know, you know, Rina doesn't always have to be the one who, who says, yes, we are getting a nice new building and so <laughs> forth. And that. She can say, guys, maybe um, as the Cliff Central family, by the way, I wasn't consulted, but we can all <laughs> talk about like, you know, wh- what do we need for a space? Where does it need to be? It needs to be central, da, da, da. And step back and let the team do the, do the work. Declerc on that day said, I'm not the person to go on television. I'm not the, I, I have no zero power. If I say to a young black man who loved Chris Honey that, oh, relax, stay at home, don't, sure. don't protest. Make it worse. It, it make it far worse. So that was my second, that's, you know, if I was, if I was someone like Muzi Smart and so forth, I'd have written that book, that, that but, book that said, the lesson one, this lesson two, the other lessons that in, but, in, in the book. Aren't um, we overanalyzing again like our government does? Because, the solutions to our problems in this country are so practical. It's like fixing pipes and making sure that the coal is clean when it goes into the... <laughs> really, these are not... You don't need to have chat GPT to fucking work that out. <laughs> the stuff um, that we need, the garbage collection and getting rats out of government hospitals, these are practical things. We, we keep thinking that there's some masterful, yeah. incredible, complex I mean, solution. I, I hear you, and I agree with you totally. But but here's the the, the analysis, and it's very short analysis. Is this? Um, people are taking water out of the fire hydrant near my mother's house because that village is supplied by rainwater. Mm. Um, they're putting it into a truck and going and and giving it to uh, a village called Kanana. Who who is who owns the truck, um, how much are they paid? That is where the problem lies here. That truck wants to stay in business. It's owned by the son or the uncle or the of Justice Malala, who is the local um, ward councillor. If you take this or what municipality in the northwest, if you take many of these collapsed or collapsing municipalities, all of them are because if you take Jubilee Hospital and say, why is it we are not getting rid of the mice and the rats in this place? It's because the tender for that has gone to Justice's friend, who Justice is clean, he's the, he's the ward councillor or the or the head of this and so forth. So part of the the corruption has become part of the lifeblood of this country and of the ANC in particular. And this is this is something that we have to confront. That you you talk about let's put the coal in the in the in the in the power plant. Well, the coal, half of it is being taken so that it can be kept for the Germans and the rest is because the, the corruption, part of the corruption then, problem then, has... But then uh, let's send people to jail. Let's do that. I mean, that we can do. That's practical too. We don't need chat GPT for that. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is kind of obvious. All right. We've got to wrap it, it up. Is. I want to do but, one but, last... Okay, let me, let me put it this way. 
we need to send people to jail. Mm. Let, let me tell there, there was a thing yesterday. I mean, they're still looking to send Zomiyu as killer. They're still looking for, uh, you know, people, the, people. Was uh, seven AKA's witnesses. killer? I mean, happened on camera. Exactly. There were seven witnesses in the, in the Senzo Mayua murder. Right. You can't, you can't pinpoint who the, the killer is. But, but it's absolutely key that we have to, there has to be a disincentive to, to corruption. Right now, if you're corrupt, if you take a bribe or if you do this and so forth, you're not, you don't think you'll go to jail. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to happen. So, I mean, it's a catch-22. I don't want people to be despondent. I think there are very many good people who are doing amazing work. That ship is um, rather sailed. And I'm, I'm an optimist, all right? But, but Justice, I do want us to squeeze in. You're not coming across as my optimist. Can you be my optimist this morning? All right, so I want to do one last question, and then we've got to unfortunately wrap this up. But Justice will stay, sign some books. So let's go. Let's grab a question over here. Right, Lebang, you're in charge. Yeah. Lebang and the never-ending cable. Go ahead. Thank you so much. I think on practicalities, my question is to your little project, which actually sounds like a big project. From a communication perspective, what are the five or ten words we can say, we can communicate on mass media to get people to register to vote and to get them to the polling stations? Because we are not solving corruption. We are not sending people to jail in this room. But we've got the means to communicate to South Africa to let the penny drop to say, all you can do is vote. That's the first thing you do, and everything else over and above that is extra. So we say that? We can go back to paper ballots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ten words. I, I, I must confess I haven't thought that far. Um, I'm sorry, but I will find those ten words for you, and I'm going to really. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic suggestion. Um, I want to address this thing about about where we are as a country, just just about the the hopelessness and the feeling that that I can't do anything, we can't do anything. I think I think that that is what you know people would call rock bottom. That we've reached a stage where if I'm feeling that way and you're feeling that way, basically I'm just, you know, trying to get you to buy the book and I make a bit of cash and that's it. Um, and well, we, we, we've you lost. said it yourself, we are doing things. Yeah. So that's not entirely true. Yeah. We are putting in generators and boreholes. I know, and so I know, so but it's an alternative a, to society. On an and, individual yeah, level, exactly, South Africans are being. Exactly. But we, I think all of us love this country enough to say, what can we do to be at a place where, where you know, on on Twitter, which I've fallen out of love with, but on Twitter, the people like putting this thing: um, "I love my country, but I'm disappointed or I hate my government," and so forth. And it's one of those things. It's how do I walk in the world if this is the situation that I'm constantly in, that we're constantly in, and so. I think I think over the past eight years, uh, the past six years, one of the the institutions there was a news report I think yesterday or today about about um, in the U.S. Um, um, some company has been some consulting company has been uh, 
found guilty and, and people are going to jail. I think two people are going to jail for colluding with Tom Moyani at SARS mm. to da-da-da-da-da-da. I think Schregas or something like that. Anyway, that is where SARS was, that, that it was captured and it was, I want to da-da-da and I come with my people and, we, and the, the deal goes on. We don't stop enough to talk about the fact that SARS, I know you don't want to pay taxes, but, but SARS will come after you and SARS will get the money off you. Yeah. Um, SARS was run by, is run by uh, Edward Kisvetter. Edward Kisvetter used to be a manager at, at ESCOM. And one of the things he said about how do we fix ESCOM and how do we fix ESCOM quickly is that if you go to an ESCOM power station today, you find the rubbish on the ground of the power station. And he says, I always ask, what the heck is going on? We can't even clean the floor. He said, the first thing to do is to start by cleaning the floors at these power stations. How can you not? How, and I, I, I said to say, I've worked at the power station uh, uh, in my young life. And, and, you know, if you go into the control room, um, if these two gentlemen, the area around them is dirty, the minute you walk in, you're going to say, ah, Cliff Central, look, mm. look how, what kind of place um, yeah. they're working it's in. It's Giuliani's broken windows. Uh, you know, so we can fix these things. And, and we have examples and we have people who can fix it. Maybe, maybe the problem is that we don't have in charge, in power, in cabinet, in ministerial positions, People who are more interested in getting their curtain fixed and getting it fixed for a railing for 54,000 rand, mm. then we have people who want the place to be clean. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is fundamental to the, the South Africa is not broken. The ANC has broken it. And, and that needs to be something that we then say, how can we continue for 30 years you can't keep on giving people a chance. If, if Gareth Cliff goes on air every day and every day he is late for his show, and uh, how long do you say, guy, you know, be here? The show starts at 6 a.m. Yeah. He's here at 6.15. You've got to say, it's, you know, it's time for you to go and Lebang, maybe it's time for you to take over. Someone else should be running this thing. So I, I think that's, that's where the, this is the moment when we have to say, how far? How far? I mean, we can say all these things, but someone, <laughs> last month, not last month, uh, April, May, in March, I flew from here, I went to a wedding in Cape Town, I get out of the airport, I drive from the airport to Franschuk, I spent three weeks in Cape Town, and I don't hit a single pothole. Now, I didn't go to Kailisha, but, but this is the beginnings of asking the questions. If I go from Oartambo to Rosebank, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fundamental. We can't, in 1999, we, we, we sent the people that we elected in 1994 into power because we believed that they could do better, they needed to do better, that, you know, it's five years, let's give them 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25. How long does it take? Well, and and I think there. this conversation needs to be had.
All right. I, you know. I, I know we're wrapping up, and I know everybody's got questions. You also want to buy books, Justice Assign Your Books. Uh, we will wrap it up. I just want Penwell's over here. He's a young pretender to your throne on the burning platform. <laughs> he was on the other day. He's very controversial, doesn't mind fighting with people, has a, a, a very straightforward approach to things, and I'm very glad you're here. Go ahead and ask your question. Thank you're, you. You're the last one. Thank you, and good morning to everyone. Justice, congrats on the book, and I think many of us are looking forward to reading it if you haven't already. I've got a question, and um, it may be a bit unfair, and it may be a bit ironic to both of you. During apartheid, the ANC was labeled as a terrorist organization. When you look at what's happened with SAA, constant bailouts at the SABC, ESCOM, what happened during COVID hot lockdown, we're losing the post office, we've lost the NEL. Life is demeaning, Marikana, Haman's crowd today. Would you guys agree that the ANC is a terrorist organization? No. If you look at what they've done to this country, and if you say no, that's fine. If you want to say yes, the question to you guys and maybe to the rest of us as South Africans is, how do, how do you approach a terrorist organization that is in effect doing everything in its power to destroy the country? And we see it, and we ask questions, and we keep trying to pretend like they're an ordinary government. But if you look at the deaths, just recently, Senzo Meiwa, a.k.a., we laugh about it, we joke, you spoke about Chris Hani. I have my own opinions, of course. I think they're coming through in my question, but I'd like to hear what you guys think about. I think it's fundamental to remember. Uh, 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 thank you, uh, uh, Penwell. Um, there's a book... Uh, I was thinking about it. About uh, It's a book written by Jacob Zamini. He's a historian from South Africa, as you say. Sadly, he's teaching at Yale, at Princeton. He's one of the foremost historians in the United States today. Jacob's book was called Askari. It's about the apartheid government kidnapping, um, and he focuses on one ANC soldier. His name is Glorisidive. Um guy from Limpopo, a guy from a very struggle family, and and how he is kidnapped um, um, from Swaziland, brought back into South Africa, and tortured for months on end, and turned into into a killer, a hunter and killer of the ANC's uh, uh, MK soldiers. Uh, and he he does it with a with a with a gusto and evilness that is just incredible and. Heartbreaking. Um, the thing about that book is that it illustrates the the sheer evil of the system of apartheid. It wasn't about just the individual; it was just the entire thing. And and I think I think I criticize the ANC a lot, or all the time. My, as my mother would like to say, like just hold off a bit. Um, but the key thing about the ANC is that uh, no matter what we might say, the ANC struggle, uh, its its entire life from 1912 to 1994 was about bringing to fruition a country that is non-racial, non-sexist, um, that is undergirded by progressive values that I still today 
am guided by. Uh, I don't consider them ANC values. I consider them human values. I consider them. When Uganda says it's going to, it's going to essentially kill people because they are gay, it is my, the first person I think about is Simon Ngodi, who was an ANC activist who was in prison with Tiralikota and others in 1987 and came out in prison in Delmas. And the ANC people around him, half of them said, yeah, I will kill him. Half of them said, no, we are the ANC. We believe humans should have full expression and so forth. And they embraced him. And Tiralikota was one of those people. That is the ANC, I think, whose values I, I fully uh, think were, were the right values. I don't think that was a terrorist organization. I think that organization was many other things. What it has done since 1994, I don't think it's an organized system of evil. It's, an, it's become entrenched, this evilness and this inability to see evil when it's right in front of the ANC. But I would be very, very careful about, about willy-nilly just saying this is a terrorist organization. I do think democracy demands that when an organization, a party, does what the ANC has done to this country, that we should have, there should be consequences, and we have the ability to do that. I talk about SARS. Another institution that we don't talk about is, is the IEC. The IEC has no controversy in South Africa right now because we've managed to keep it above board, independent, and so forth. So let's, before the ANC, because the ANC will break the IEC, I'm telling you this now, before the ANC breaks the IEC, make sure that the IEC works in the manner it should and that the ANC is not in a position to break it. So I, I, I don't agree. Um, I hear your frustration, but I don't agree that, that the ANC... I, I, You're not, you're not going to get me to say that either because I'm white. Do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> Second of all, I, I, do, I do actually believe the answer is no. And, and I'm, I'm going to just paraphrase, if you don't mind, a little bit of what justice was, I think, moving into, which is my belief, never ascribe to malice what can be explained by incompetence. <laughs> right? So I don't think they've willfully gone in to destroy things. They just... These are not competent people. That's all it is. And this is a competent person. Go and buy his book. Go and sign his book. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much.